Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. What's up, guys? Happy Monday and welcome into another great episode of Gramlich and McLean presented by our friends over at Ingles. We're continuing to roll down the path of these ACC under reviews and it's time for the Clemson Tigers. I've been excited about this episode. We've been waiting, uh, you know, to get this to you guys. And we've got the great Larry Williams joining us today. Larry provided some really fun insight. Uh, You guys are going to love this. We were all over the place. And, uh, you know, it it was really fun. Expect you guys to be in these comments, you know, kind of chatting up what you think and kind of where Larry, you know, provides some fun insight for us about various topics from the season to the Alabama situation uh, and everything in between of where Clemson football is right now. So love this insight. We're going to get a quick message from our friends over at Ingles. And here's the interview with Larry. It's time to discover the convenience and time savings of contact-free pickup with Ingles Curbside. Just visit shop.ingles-markets.com or download the app. And your Ingles personal shopper gets to work with specialized training on how to select the freshest items for a pre-scheduled pickup. They'll even text you with updates. You pull up to a designated space and your personal shopper delivers your items right to your vehicle. Fresh, fast, and affordable. It's all in the bag. Ingles. Low prices. Love the savings. Larry Williams, brother, welcome into the podcast. We're super excited to break it down with you today. Talk all things Clemson Tigers. Thank you, man. It's a little cold in the upstate. You've got your hat on. It's like 10 degrees outside. How are we feeling? We doing all right? I have paid my electricity bill. That's good. um, I'm just doing it to get in the spirit of the frigid frigid days here so it's cold down here in the basement sometimes so that, I, I get that i understand that you know when you're out in the garage you're in the basement whatever it is wherever you try to get away sometimes yep. the heating and air doesn't work the best in those places right, right. <laughs> that's so true okay larry i want to start with this first of all as we told you off air um we're we're both big fans i subscribe to tiger illustrated my husband though is obsessed with you so he's going to be very excited he actually doesn't even really listen to our podcast but he'll probably listen to this one so this is getting me some points, major points. <laughs> well, as a through the years, when I'm at a tailgate or at a social event or a restaurant or something, and a subscriber introduces me to his spouse, and it's usually his um, spouse, uh, the look that I get from the wives from the, normally is like it's not one of being impressed. <laughs> it is it is one of of me being more like a bartender or a drug oh, dealer. No. Oh no. <laughs> You're the reason my husband can't ever focus on washing the dishes or what I'm saying, you know, is always on his phone. So, uh, but we appreciate the, the, the addicts, you know, you know, just probably more than, more than anybody. Oh yeah. Whatever it yeah. takes, baby. Whatever it takes. He's an addict. He's an addict, especially some of those, uh, Dabo's tiger calls this year. Uh, I, I, I watched Tyler and Spartanburg unfold firsthand from my husband on the boards. So that was really fun. Yo, how, how powerful was Tyler? Like. I, I'm, I'm not, I was never in the camp of, and still am not in the camp of, oh, before that call, Dabo was just Mr. Comfortable with himself and going through the motions. And it took that for him to get mad and get focused. But like it, it had some power, I think, like maybe in terms of the, 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 the news last week of Dabo in Alabama and 
you know, like I, the perception of Dabo, mm. you know, I think some of that is, is, is a, is a negative, right? Like because pe- people elsewhere are, are like, man, I don't know this guy's kind of thin skinned, whatever. I'm just saying we would view Dabo the same way from afar. I think as a lot of people from outside are viewing mm. him, you know, we, we we know him. You guys know him better than anybody. I feel like I know him pretty well, and so we understand some of his calculations and some of his methods. But, um, you know, I don't know if Alabama's AD, you know, was was totally enamored of like, like if you're thinking about replacing Nick Saban, and the Tyler from Spartanburg thing happens, and it goes viral for forty eight hours. I guess it was maybe even more. Your first thought is he might not be able to handle things all that well here, where it's Tyler from Spartanburg times a hundred, you know. Um, so that's a fascinating part of it. Just to, you know, I'm, I'm going. This is a roundabout way of me saying, man, Tyler from Spartanburg might have um, might have had some influence in how Dabo was viewed by uh, Alabama, whether it was you know fans or or even maybe their AD as he maybe zeroed in on, on some other candidates perhaps. Yeah. And before KG gets to, uh, to more of the, the Alabama story here, cause I'm sure there's a question that'd be asked there. I do have some, some breaking news, uh, that you guys probably don't even know this, but, uh, I'm Tyler from Spartanburg and, uh, I did that. Uh, so you're welcome. Clemson family. You're welcome. <laughs> can, we, can we stay on this? <laughs> Mac. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. That was oh, so God. well done. Oh my God. Well done. Thank you. Well yeah, done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get the Go trophy. Ahead, Get the trophy. <laughs> the most hilarious part of that looking back is, is is the people who thought he didn't exist. Right. 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 Or that it was a plant. It was a bug. It was like it was all planned. It was yes. a plant that yes. somebody was calling on purpose. <laughs> and I want to tell y'all, actually, I think, Mac, was I on with you and Roddy? A week yes. or so, and I was yes. all sort of how some of that went down. So it happened on a Monday night, and so at some point after the show, when all hell was breaking loose, I realized that oh my gosh, he's a yes. subscriber. <laughs> and so then my boss was like, "Are you thinking about maybe? Are you thinking about having him on for a podcast or something tomorrow?" You know, and I'm like, "Hell no," <laughs> because. I, I had no interest in, I mean, this dude had already, you know, had already laid down. He had already drawn his line in the sand. Yeah. He had already made his attack. And so I wasn't going to be viewed as the guy who was like further amplifying that. So I had no interest in having more conversation with the guy. Not that I had anything against him. So the next morning I'm waiting on, I'm at Dabo's press conference, waiting for it to start. I'm there like 10 minutes early. And I check my direct messages and it's Tyler from Spartanburg. And he says, Hey man, I, and I'm disclosing this because I don't think he would have a problem with it. Um, in fact, he, I know he wouldn't, but he said, you know, I, I realized that I didn't handle that in the best of ways. Um, do you have any advice for me on how oh. I should handle this? I said, like, man, I said, first of all, I, I, you know, just full disclosure. I think you went too far. <laughs> Abo also went too far, but it's nothing personal towards you at all. You know, no problem. I appreciate you being a subscriber. And then he uh, messages me back and he says, do you think I should 
make a post on the board, on the message board, apologizing to Dabo. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, this guy, he's definitely, you know, showing that he's human, mm-hmm. you know, and and then he feels like he went too far, made a mistake, even though he did feel like there was some substance to some of his arguments. Um, he just went a little Old Testament, yeah. I guess, literally, um, in bringing up scripture and all that. But and so at that point, I'm like, hey, man, would you would you want to do an interview? You know, because to me, like that was another layer of the story was, hey, this this dude is not just some totally anti Dabo or anti Clemson guy. And so later in the day, I interviewed him for about an hour. Um, former Marine uh, for five years. He was actually overseas during some of the biggest moments. Um, he was he was at uh, uh, Quantico on a training mission during the 16 title. And as y'all remember, it was cold that night in yeah. Tampa. Frigid in Virginia. And he said, this is so vivid. He was in his tent and he had his, his cell phone and his cell phone kept kept turning off because it was so cold. But he got he ended up being able to watch the final play live, you know. And so this is like a generational fan. Anyway, I say all that to say people take their own theories and run with them. And so our friend uh, Corey Miller, who's on the uh, Fox, he does, a, a, I guess, a weekly during the season appearance with Patrick Sapp on Fox Carolina. And at one point, Patrick Sapp called me a few weeks later. He goes, man, your boy Corey Miller was all over you uh, the other day. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said that Corey Miller was saying that it was a plant <laughs> and that, and that, that, uh, that Tyler didn't exist or that I'm Dabo's boy. And so Dabo put me up to interviewing him or whatever. And it's just like the stuff you hear from people is just crazy. And that even applies to, I guess, what we're talking about now with Dabo and Alabama. Mm. You know, it's people take whatever facts there are and they contort them to further entrench themselves into whatever they believe. And of course that applies to everything, politics, whatever. But it's like, the people who don't want to believe that Dabo even spent a second thinking about going to Alabama are like, yep, told you. There's no way he would ever go there. He's here for good. The people who think that Dabo didn't have a chance in hell at getting that job, you know, well, told you, you know. Um, anyway, it's just, it, it's crazy how, uh, I guess, entrenched people mm-hmm. get into whatever they have. Um, I don't know where I was going, but my point, my point was the Tyler from Spartanburg stuff. The, the funniest part is just how, how um, it can take on a life of its own to the point where people say it was a plant or Larry was doing Dabo's bidding for him and, and t- took part in the conspiracy or whatever. When actually it was a, the story to me was, was one of humanity. You know, it was one of uh, somebody getting too emotional, which fans are prone to do. But then realizing, man, I got too crazy, and then being very public about um, about his regret yeah. over approaching that way. Well, Tyler Spartanburg is real. We know that. And he did, you know, in a funny way, have an impact on this season. Let, let's talk about 2023 here, Larry. And really a season that had two seasons, I would say, if you're Clemson, probably up to the NC State game and then Notre Dame and on. So – how was Clemson able in your mind to 
A, start so poorly, um, which was kind of surprising to all of us, but then rally and finish really well. How did that? How did this season unfold? I think a big part of it was that week of the Notre Dame game after they got back from Raleigh. Um, Dabo, and I think y'all picked up on this too probably, but he was the most scorched earth he's been ever that week. And I'm talking like everybody in the building, you know, I think I, I want to say it was Xavier Thomas after the Notre Dame game was reflecting on that week. And he said, yeah, he even challenged the guy who cuts the grass. That actually happened. <laughs> I think the guy who cuts the grass might've thought his job was in danger for some reason, the way he was cutting it or something. I don't know. Uh, not naming any names, but that actually happened. Um, you know, going into that game, two things that, Two sort of snapshots that come into my mind are going into the the week of the Notre Dame game and the week of the South Carolina game. The week of the Notre Dame game, the injuries on the offensive line, nobody in his right mind thought that they could overcome that. I mean, they were dropping like flies. Colin Sadler was pretty much out. You'd already lost Marcus Tate. You were going to have, you'd already lost Walker Parks, of course. You're going to have to roll with Trent Howard. And uh, Hunter, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Harris Sewell, apologies. Like, even people within the team were like, we're going to lose by 30, you know? I'm not saying there wasn't some confidence on the inside, but, and then I think the South Carolina game, and they were a mass unit just from sickness. And they were having to take a quarantine bus to Columbia. Who was it who didn't even, uh, Shipley didn't practice yeah. all week. Well, and Shipley was out for Notre uh, Dame, too, so that added to yeah, that for that week. Yeah, people people on IVs the day of the game, like, you know, I mean, you've heard of flu games like Michael Jordan and all that, and but I, I think, I mean, it was just on such a large scale, and when Dabo mentions that is the first thing that he mentions in his post-game press conference, just how laid out they were. Um, I just think of those two snapshots as as when and how a season, a season turned from being, whoa, uh, disastrous, uh, and then turned the opposite. Well, not the opposite, um, because it wasn't the season that they wanted it to be. But they sort of saved the season, right? Like, had you, you know, you, you beat Notre Dame, that's all well and good. You have that four game, uh, three game winning streak. But if you lose to South Carolina, it's going to be hard to. Uh, find much satisfaction in that. And so uh, that's what I think of. You know, I think back, of course, to the preseason when you have a bunch of talk of the national championship and it seemed like just a program that was maybe maybe a little too impressed with itself, you know. Um, and I'm interested to see how that changes moving forward uh, into this offseason, into this August camp um, coming up in that, you know, maybe – Maybe the lesson here is to, um, you know, more demanding. Not that it's a country club or anything uh, otherwise or previously, but um, I just, I think the last three years, a lot of lessons have been learned. Chief among them is not every five-star quarterback is going to be uh, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And maybe one of the other ones is the lesson of human nature of it is hard as heck to fight complacency and comfort and sort of self-admiration, I guess, 
in the wake of high achievement. And so I know I'm talking a lot of big picture stuff and not really, not necessarily the last half of the season, but that's what's really on my mind when you ask me about this season and how they turned it around. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. And, and I think the, you know, the first part of the season, specifically looking at just the turnovers, man, I mean, it, it was baffling. And, and you, you ask yourself why you ask yourself how, like, is it coaching? Is it attention to detail? Is it players not buying in? And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of all of that. You know, there, there, there's something because it just doesn't happen overnight. And that's what seemingly we saw, uh, you know, especially looking in that Duke game. Um, you know, I, I think back to, to some crazy, just, you know, silly decisions being made and, and, you know, throwing a pass when you clearly run it and, uh, you know, vice versa and, and trying to run yourself and, and not just playing within the offense. It, it was just a really strange kind of, I don't know, you know, total package of this stuff happening. And then, as you said, the Notre Dame game, and it all just seemed to play a little bit smoother. Everything just kind of came together. Um, from a leadership standpoint, who stood out the most to you on, on the team? You know, from a player standpoint, looking at that, that maybe helped turn that around to get these guys going and focused to saying, hey, let's go win five in a row. Let's go have a playoff run here. You know, something that we hopefully will do next year in this 12-team playoff. I think you would have to start on the defensive side, given that that's where they were um, arguably elite, you know, top 10 good statistically. Um, you know, I think about, I think a lot about that freshman, the freshman on defense. Um you know, Dabo told us coming in that these dudes were just different. Um, and I think you could really feel that, not just in the second half of the season, but throughout the season when, you know, with TJ Parker and Khalil Barnes, Avion Terrell, um, you know, of course there are more, Peter Woods. But just when we talk about that sense of uh, the, the notion of comfort, and maybe some entitlement sort of creeping into the program and maybe complacency. You don't feel that with those dudes, right? Like, um, and I think what they bring has sort of permeated the defense to the point where you, know, you have an RJ Mickens who is probably on the verge of leaving as in, but, but as in like, you know what? I'm coming back in large part because I want to be a part of this this ethic, I guess, for lack of a better word, that you feel that side of the ball. I think Barrett Carter, very similar. So if we're talking about leadership, I think it starts on that side of the ball. Um, but the turnaround, again, you go back to the offensive line going into the Notre Dame game, it was not rational to say, okay, they're going to come out with Trent Howard and uh, the freshman at right guard and just blow – Notre Dame off the ball. It just was not, that was not on anybody's radar, but they did. And so, you know, you, you think to the simplification of, of the, of the assignments, Eric, you could probably speak to that way more than I can, but for so long during the season, gosh, those, those guard tackle pulls just look bad. The timing of them, the speed of them or lack thereof, and you did, they just could not get in sync. A lot of stuff has to work together when you're running that those gap schemes that are really a trademark of what Garrett Riley and Lincoln Riley have uh, have been known for over the last several years. 
But the Notre Dame game, it was just, let's just be simple, right? Let's just, let's just do more zone, some duo stuff, and just block the guy in front of you. Um, and that's what happened. I think that really spearheaded some things. You know, they certainly were not perfect over that winning streak that, that, that closed the season. But I think the, the one, the most consistent thing, of course, on offense was they were able to run the ball pretty well, including at South Carolina. Even though you don't reach the end zone, walk out of that game going, they didn't score t- an offensive touchdown. What in the world? Even when you don't do that, even when you, you know, you have some, a lot of heartburn about the offense in that game, when you run for 220 yards or whatever it was, you're still able to control the game. Uh, and that's a great lesson, you know, I think moving forward. If you can play good defense and run the ball, like I think Michigan, the national champion, is a is a is a pretty good example of that. That you don't and I'm not saying Michigan's offense was on the same level as Clemson's, but I think the last three years, not just with Michigan, but also with Georgia, mm-hmm. with their back titles have shown us that you don't have to have 2019 LSU's ridiculous offense to win a title. You don't have to have the 2018 Clemson offense. You don't have to have the 2020 Alabama offense. If you can play some elite high-level defense and you can actually control games uh, on the offensive side by running the ball, you can get by with just really good quarterback play instead of transcendent quarterback play. So I think that's what they're hoping to build on. of course, you have Matt Luke, the high-priced offensive uh, line coach coming in. Um, everything I've picked up, and of course, we always fall into the trap regardless of who it is. The new guy, oh, he's you know he's got all the best ideas, and everything's great, and the guy was terrible. I'm not saying that. I don't want to hyperbolize that, but I, I do get a strong sense of Matt Luke. His message is basically like, Hey, dudes, and I think he said this at halftime in the Gator Bowl, like, it ain't scheme, you know, it's nothing else, but you got to go earn it. You know, you got to go buck up and and get nasty. And so I think that'll be the the message this offseason from him. Um, and so I'm interested to see where it goes from here for sure. Mm, yeah, I mean, just so much there, Larry, that was good to take from. And l- let's talk about this offense itself. And you were kind of alluding to it t- towards the end of your comment. You start with the Duke game, which was an abomination, right? You end with the Kentucky game, which was very exciting and can really be a springboard into next year. This was an offense that only averaged 29 points per game now and about 400 yards of offense. Now, what you were just saying, can that be okay in this current stage where you can win titles with that and a good defense? What can we expect from this offense? Year two, Lincoln Riley. We saw some different wrinkles. We saw some creativity this year. Maybe not as much as I honestly was expecting, um, but another year of Cade, wide receivers getting healthy, hopefully, Mafa back, Matt Luke. What, what do you expect to see from this offense in 2024? First off, um, I want to go over some numbers from, from last season, not, you know, not to get too stat-heavy. I love stats. Pretty I love stats. <laughs> Clemson's offense – Last season, yards per play, 5.25. That ranked 98th nationally. First downs per game, 
23.4. That ranked 16th nationally. Huh. How? How does that happen? And, and, and try this on. The 2018 offense that I just talked about as being, oh, pretty good, you know, yeah. generationally good. First downs per game, 23.9. Wow. Washington's offense this year, pretty good, 23.7. So right, in there, right there in that range. The obvious takeaway for me when you think about it is, oh, what did, what did that 2018 Clemson offense and this past year's Washington offense have <laughs> in spades that this year's Clemson offense was lacking in spades? Explosive mm-hmm. plays. Like, that's it. And, and I know Dabo rightly harps on the turnovers and as, the, as that's it. If we don't turn it over, we win. If we do, we 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 might lose. I, that's obviously a huge part of it, obviously. But I would suggest humbly that explosive plays have to be right there below turnovers because if you don't have explosive plays, you're asking your offense to navigate down the field, execute down the field, a lot of plays, and there's more margin for error for any offense, even the best offenses. That's hard to do without making a mistake, without committing a crucial penalty in the red zone, and, of course, without holding on to the ball. And so I think that is where Garrett Riley and this offense just have to figure something out. They have to get more explosive to just make it easier on themselves. Clemson's plays of 20 yards or more and this is both pass and run, 3.53 a game. That's 98th nationally. Um, eight, 2018 Clemson was 6.93. <laughs> so double, right? That says an awfully lot, awful lot. Washington this year was 6.35 plays of 20 or more yards a game. And so, again, I, I go back to the running game. If you And I think the the, the, the Florida State game showed this some. The Notre Dame game showed this a lot. If you can run the ball dependably and maybe even forcefully, which they did run it forcefully against Notre Dame, that makes things so much easier for your trigger man uh, because it, it brings second and third level players into conflict and it creates one-on-one matchups. And so, you know, Phil Maffa is not going to be the playmaker that Travis Etienne was, but I think if you're able to to establish a consistent and powerful running game, I think that's a big part of the answer. Of course, we haven't even really gotten into Cade Klubnik and the physical and mental development that he's going to have to show uh, this offseason. Um, you know, how many start, starts does he have? I guess uh, 14, is that is that right? Once Tennessee... Uh, last year, and then um, and then thirteen this year. Okay, it's time for that dude <laughs> to be more dependable, right? Like I think that's fair to say. Um, but when you're in Garrett Riley's shoes, I think it really all starts with the establishing the running game, getting that more consistent, and then of course that uh, sort of points toward Matt Luke and the job that he's undertaking this offseason. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Um, you know, I think just to see, 
you know, what are the changes? Is it a mind shift? Is it physically something that we see? Is it is it taking more shots? Is it throwing the ball downfield? Is it having an understanding of the offense and knowing where to go with the football? Uh, so eight sacks against Kentucky does not happen um, because th- th- there's just too many times. Um, you know, when you watch this film, you know it, it, it's it's a statue. It's building snowballs. It, it's not good. I mean, you can't do that. And, and so, really, I, I guess from things that you've gathered, Larry, things that you've seen. What what needs to be the the biggest step, you know, in Cade Klubnik's development? Because physically, I guess I'm leading the answer here. Physically, the tools are there, like the the arm talent, the the legs, um, the the way, the angles that he can throw. All of that is there to me. But outside of that, I guess what what have you heard or what have you gathered uh, that that needs to or has to not not even a need it has to improve uh, for Clemson to be back successful to their standard between the years. <laughs> You know, and that's not something that I can prognosticate, you know. Um, I am certainly not in the camp of, well, what we've seen is there's no way this kid's going to give us what we need. We've seen enough. I'm not in that camp. But and more, let, let me ask you this though specifically. Is it more like, is it more like his offense, more the defense, all of it? Like, you know, because – there's a lot to that, I think. And again, not knowing the conversations that you have or haven't had, you know, is there something specific that people have said, man, just coverage has got to know coverage, got to understand that, got to, you know, know where to go to the football when he sees cover two on this side. You know, is there more to it than that? It's so much, Eric. I mean, it, yeah. it, I, it's hard for me to narrow it down to one thing, but the first thing I think of is the sort of going rogue moments. Um, the Florida State game wasn't that because he just didn't make the obvious read, right, on the RPO uh, in overtime. He thought there was something on the outside, and when they needed six inches, he pulled it when he should have given it. You know, I mean, I think all of us still remember Dabo yelling, one yard, (laughs) we needed one yard, why did you throw it? But the Miami game, where they tell him expressly in a timeout seconds before, okay, give the ball to Will. This is a direct handoff. Well, he sees something that he likes and he pulls it and then ends up running backwards, horizontal and backwards. North Carolina game, end of the first half. They have a top back Brown gave them a break by calling him a, a calling a timeout for his defense. So they had time to say, with eight seconds left, the ball at the four-yard line, is that right? Okay, we don't have any timeouts. You have to throw this ball. Well, doesn't throw it, and credit to him, man. Like, And I think this is a positive. He made an amazing play to nudge that ball over the goal line. But the alarming and concerning thing to me is that he did the same thing in his first college start. In the article, at the end of the first half against Tennessee, didn't have good situation. Well, he had bad situational awareness. I'm, you know, let's let's just let's not sugarcoat. That's just accurate. And what it suggested was, wait, like part of him has developed since that night in South Florida, but in a very fundamental way, part of him hasn't. And so that's first concerning, the most concerning thing in my mind, at least. The other thing is, you know, we saw this in the Gator Bowl. Um, he, 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 he sees things 
he doesn't see things in time, at least from my view. Like a receiver will break open and he waits a tick or two. And mm-hmm. then it's too late, right? And so his ability to see things develop, I think, is is uh is certainly a box that I would say needs to be checked. We also should talk about that physical part. You say he he looks the part physically. I would just say body composition wise, he needs to add some girth because he was thrown he was tossed around a bit. And what what's what's wild to me is that Max Duggan, who of course was Garrett Riley's quarterback the previous season and who was an absolute battering ram, almost like a Tebow type in the way he was just lowering his shoulder and picking up big yards. If you just ask, he was 205, 207, which is right where Cade is listed. Same height, basically, I believe. And now maybe Cade lost some weight through the season. Maybe he was under 200. I have no idea. But it's just fascinating to me how two guys who have the same, pretty much the same physical profile are two totally different presences running the ball. Anyway, but that, Back to my point, he needs to get bigger, needs to get thicker, needs to get stronger. And I think even Dabo has said that. But if we're narrowing it down to one thing, Eric, back to your question, hmm. I just don't know if you if you really can because there's just like a there's a checklist of things that 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 I would be concerned about him improving on. Sure. And I think something for perspective too is if you had told us all before the season that Cade would basically not have Cole Turner and Antonio Williams for the whole year, we all would have thought disaster, (laughs) like absolute disaster. So thinking that they're going to be back, obviously uh, fully healthy, and then you've had the emergence of Tyler Brown, which has been huge, Adam Randall, players like that at wide receiver. The wide receiver position looks to be improved for next year. I just want to ask you kind of a broader question here, Larry in terms of the portal, because I know so many Clemson people watching and listening have questions. Is Dabo using the portal? Will he ever use the portal? What's the portal? What what are you talking about? (laughs) So um, the transfer portal is this place where players can go in and leave and go to another school. But I think one thing we have to remind everybody is that it's very hard to pick up quality backups out of the portal. That is almost nearly impossible because they want to come and play. So from what you know, Larry, did Clemson get – get far get to maybe you know second base with any of these people in the portal and do you see Dabo using the portal or at least trying to in the future you know I I think that if and I've been thinking about this the last few weeks your quarterback for instance you have a lot of uncertainty right Mm -hmm. um with Cade also with Christopher Vizina behind them of course uh Trent Pierman, um, Tyson's coming back to be a, a Zeb Nolan, I guess, I guess, like break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> like if, and I'm trying to be fair here, I think this is pretty fair-minded. If Clemson truly were, you know, aggressive in the portal, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but all in, so to speak, I just look at Riley Leonard. And I'm like, mm, got him interesting. early. Like, I mean, and I'm not saying give him the starting job. <laughs> I'm saying like, hey, Riley, you know, come, you know, like we have an, an inconsistent quarterback, but hey, y'all battle. You know, if you think you can beat him out, 
Like if you play the way you did this past season, you could probably you might be able to beat him out. Whatever, whatever the messaging is. And to Cade, hey man, I love you. You know, I support you. But we don't owe a starting spot. We owe we owe this team and this university, to, uh, you know, being the best we can be, our best opportunities to to succeed. Um, you know, you look at to your question. Yes, they were in it with a number of offensive linemen. Um, as to, uh, you know, which guys wanted to play right away and, and wanted assurances on that, as to which guys um, were getting better offers from elsewhere. I mean, I think we pretty much know that Clemson's stance on on NIL is they're not going to lead with it in recruiting, and that means high school and portal recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want it to be the reason a, a guy comes here but they don't want to, in Debo's words, but they don't want it to be a, a reason a guy leaves. So, for instance, hypothetically, Phil Maffa, who has a body of work, if he comes to the coach and says, hey, this school A is all, you know, is coming after me, um, then, hey, let's let's get you a better deal, Phil. You know, you've got money, figurative money in the bank on the field, and so let's do that. And so people can argue all they want about whether this is a weakness or not. You know, you look at Michigan, you know, as as talented as they were, as, as well as they, as underrated as their high school recruiting was, highly underrated, because that team, you could argue, had the most NFL talent of anybody. Man, they they have recruited offensive line or the, used the portal on the offensive line extremely well in identifying um, guys who come in right away. And, and um, so I think it's fair to, you know, Look at Clemson and say, should they be a little more aggressive? You know, is Cade Denhoff really what you? Nothing against Denhoff. Is that really, is that really what you want? A defensive end, or could you find somebody better? I don't know. Um, do you really have seven starters on the offensive line? Because that's what Dabo said after signing day. He's like, man, we're, you know, Trent Howard, man, he's a starter, and he is. He he he, he did start a couple, however many games, right? But is it fair to say, I don't know if you have seven starter, truly seven starters on the offensive line right now. I think that's, I don't think that's unreasonable to say. So I don't know if I'm really directly answering that question because it's such a murky, hard to answer question that, that, that has to draw from a lot of different sort of perspectives. Basically they were in there, Larry, they were trying, but maybe not as, and it, it is tough because we just saw FSU get popped for, Basically, offering a kid an NIL deal before he even signed, and yes, and 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 let me, let me. I have to. We have to. If, if we're gonna, that's. A, I'm glad you mentioned FSU because that game in late September. I actually I wrote about this earlier this week. Um, if that was fairly viewed as a referendum on full on portal versus portal indifference, and you know, more of the slow cook route of talent de- uh, development and procurement. And it was fairly viewed as a referendum because Florida State's biggest playmakers in that game, the most game-changing plays, were made by portal guys. So if we fairly call that a referendum, can we sit here right now in mid-January in the wake of what you just said happened to Florida State last week, in the wake of uh, – what has happened at Michigan, that doesn't have anything to do with the portal, but, you know, just 
probably going to get popped by the NCAA in the midst of the craziness at Georgia with, you know, reportedly asking staffers to, to drink at functions with recruits, all, all that stuff. Uh, is it okay to say that, hey, man, the Dabo way that the jury is somewhat still out? Like, that there's absolutely merit to that sort of crockpot way of, of developing and, and, and preserving your culture. I mean, I dare say that, that Barrett Carter, one of the biggest reasons he came back was because of the culture that really is so magnetic. And I do believe they have something going that not a lot of other programs do. And I think that should be noted in any conversation about the portal. I don't think that it's just a slam dunk case that, Oh, they're, they're failures and they're not interested in the portal and Dabo's hopelessly behind. I think, I think it's okay to, to question. It's okay to criticize, but I don't know that there's an easy, you know, single answer to it. Yeah. It's fascinating. One thing I do want to uh, remove from the Clemson uh, conversation from the Clemson vocabulary is the crock pot. I think coach Sweeney referenced that earlier too. Let's have a good smoker. Okay. (laughs) Like there's much more manly things that take time to cook. All right. So let's, let's just do that Uh, real quickly, Larry. This has been awesome. Really appreciate all your, your insight and time. Uh, I do kind of want to you know put you on the spot and maybe a little bit of rapid fire. Top three things that will determine the outcome of Clemson's 24 are who or what? That's easy, man. Offensive line, offensive line, quarterback, receiver. One, two, three. I like that. All offense, all things that seem very controllable. Uh, that I agree with you. I agree with you on all three things. So I think defense takes care of itself. I think that is fine and going to be a leading unit. Uh, in the ACC, but also in the country. This was awesome, man. I know our our listeners, our viewers are going to be jumping all in these comments. They're going to have some fun things to say. And Larry, you're the best, brother. Thank you so much for your time. No, y'all are the best. Thank y'all so much for having me. It's an honor. All right, guys, big shout out to Larry Williams again for his time. Couldn't do it without him. And, of course, our friends over at Ingles, we always appreciate their support. But we need your support, too. We need you to jump over to YouTube. Jump on this channel with us, guys. We have so much fun. You need to see our reactions, see everything that's going on. And we appreciate your support there. So review, uh, comment, subscribe. We love seeing all the comments in there, all the fun things that you guys do. And, of course, the OGs over on Apple Podcasts as well. Rate, review, subscribe. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see you.